0: Good morning, saints. Good morning, Good morning sinners. Good morning. It's a grand thing to know our position before a Lord and Savior who is full of grace and truth. Amen? Amen. Well, I have to congratulate some people. So uh, first, I'd like to, for you to get a grasp of how many people this takes to pull off. So anyone who either gave money, cooked food, served people, Or just greeted people uh, for the Thanksgiving dinner. Please stand up. It takes a lot of people. Give them a round of applause. Well, this is the last Sunday in our mini series What Happened on the Church? Because what happened on the cross, excuse me, what happened on the church, what happened on the cross? Because what happened on the cross is central to our salvation. No other event has ever been so complex and so full of meaning. No single event has ever been so written about and talked about as what happened on the cross. No event has changed history like what happened on the cross. Amen? So today, we're going to study justification and reconciliation and adoption. But First, let's talk about justification, to be rendered righteous. Literally, it means to render righteousness, to be made right. It's what's been done for us and to us. When it comes to the cross... It's never about, Susan, what I've done. It's always about what he's done for me. Uh, This metaphor pictures the work of the cross in a legal or, or judicial setting. In Acts 13 39, it reminds us through the cross, through Christ, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. It's a justification that none of us were able to obtain by the old law because we all sin Uh, matter of fact without the cross life is terrifying without the cross life is terrifying because I don't want what I deserve I don't want what I have coming what I want is justification, right? But we need to be careful that we don't apply Western culture ideals to this God justification that happens on the cross. Terms like guilt, punishment, satisfaction, acquittal, those are Western ideals that really don't apply completely for what happened on the cross. But we should be thinking in terms of covenant-keeping justification by grace, by pardons, and by mercies. Paul gives us a look at this God-conditioned justification in Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace. Through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to receive by faith. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Our ideas of justification need to realize the reality of the blood that was shed on the cross. And it's redeeming us. It's making us right before God. The Greek word here is decaio. Say that three times fast. Dekai-o means to be rendered righteous. Listen to Paul as he talks about deikaiō in the New Testament. Verse 19, excuse me, Romans 5 and 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by the blood, which more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Verse 19, same chapter. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. He's talking about Adam and Eve Sin brought sin into the world in Genesis three, and since then, men have continued to sin, because sin was brought into the world. So by one man's obedience, Christ's obedience, the many were made righteous, DeCaio. Many were justified. Many were rendered righteous. That's what you've been done for you this morning by Christ on the cross. Listen as Paul explains just how and what God-conditioned justification looks like in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And to give you a little bit of context about this scripture, the Romans finally got grace. But when they got grace, Patsy, they decided, hey, we'll just sin so we can see grace we'll just go ahead and start sinning all the time because of this great thing called grace and we'll utilize it to its max and Paul responds to that what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means we are those who have died to sin how can we live in sin any longer or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? For where therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be unto- un united with him in the resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin because, excuse me, sin, because anyone who died has been set free from sin. Decai Kai justified, rendered righteous by his death and burial and resurrection on the cross. Secondly, this morning I want to talk about reconciliation. This metaphor has God working through Christ to return us to the relationship that we have always been meant for. That that intimate, loving relationship that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, where God comes and walks with us in the cool of the day. This is the reconciliation that Christ's death on the cross is ultimately going to bring to us. The Greek word katalose, or reconciliation, is used six times in only five verses in New Testament Scripture. Each time but one, it is used to give us a picture of returning to a relationship, a friendship with God, through the actions of the cross. Only only in 1 Corinthians 7 and 11 do we see this word, uh, katalase, outside of what's been done on the cross. And when we see that word, we see it in a marriage relationship where a spouse has left another spouse, and Paul says you should be reconciled back to them, to that loving, kind relationship that you should be in the first place. Does that help you paint the picture of reconciliation Romans 5 and 10 gives us a proper idea of humanity's condition and how we were reconciled back to God by Christ's work on the cross listen for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now, but now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusations. But there is more to this relationship, this newfound friendship that we've been brought back to in God. It also changes us. This newfound favor in God transforms us so we might share the gospel with other people listen to 2nd Corinthians five seventeen through 20 therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was not reconciling the world to Himself, excuse me. God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now that we're this new creation, now that we have this new relationship with God, we are now embodied, we now have this invitation, this responsibility to share this gospel love story with all of humanity As Scripture says, we now are ambassadors for Christ. We now represent Christ in the workplace, at Walmart, in the left-hand lane where they take right-hand curves around you. When things are not going right in the world, we are to be that ambassador for Christ that declares his glory, that declares his reconciliation, his desire to know you, Alex, this morning, and for you to spread his gospel everywhere, Rick. Not only are we changed and called to share this gospel story, this reconciliation, this newfound favor in God, calls us into a new social order where family and equality is found. Listen to Paul as he tries to explain to the Christians here that are steeped in Greek mythology and Greek philosophy about this new creation and this reconciliation that draws us together like family and have to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, help me here, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We're a family. We're called together to be one, to be a church universal. And no longer does nationality or race or ethnicity or gender or, or levels of education or economy or even someone's past gets in the way of being family, of being part of the church. We are all one in Christ. Amen? Amen? Next, let's study adoption. The Greek word for adoption is a compound word. The first part of the word is to make, and the second part is a son, to make a son. So when the first century church heard adoption, the word for adoption they didn't think of adoption agencies and and paperwork and red tape and inspection and legalities and and cost No, what they heard was to make a son they heard to be made a daughter to be made a son with all the privileges and all the inheritance that comes with adoption this is probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, and definitely one of my favorite chapters, Ephesians 1. For he who chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely given us in the one he loves, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Do you see this? God was willing and able and it gave him pleasure to adopt us, to redeem us, To lavish his grace on us so we might be his child. You know, when my mama had me, when three days were up, they handed me to her and they said, You have to take him home. They didn't give her a choice. They told my daddy, Get him, put him in the car, and take him home. They didn't have a choice. But God chooses to adopt us. He has a choice. He loves us that much. Do you realize what I'm saying? He wants to make you a daughter, a son, to have his glorious adoption, to have a relationship where we call him father. This adoption is not illegal. Or a cold academic truth. This is a a warm loving relationship. Listen to Paul's. He explains this intimate love relationship. to To two different churches. But before I read this verse. I want to explain to you the word Abba. Abba was a word that a child would use. Or just any even a grown up would use in an intimate and reverent way to their father. As I understand it, Abba would be much like saying, oh, father, or or, my father. In our English, we would probably say something like, daddy, not in a flippant way, but in a way that expresses respect and intimacy. Now listen to Paul as he explains this cherished relationship between God and his children that we obtain through this adoption. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God and his glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Paul tells the church at Galatia, we're adopted Made to be the sons of God. And in this relationship, the Spirit of God comes in us and dwells in us. And this Spirit even calls out to God in this loving, kind, intimate relationship. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman... Born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer slaves but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you heirs. The last thing I want you to realize in this adoption is it's now, but not yet. Now, but not yet. Now we are sons and daughters of the king, but not yet fully realized, and it won't be fully realized until the judgment day. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of the future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too, waiting eagerly, hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. My new body's going to have longer legs, much more hair. But do you see? It's now, but not yet. We are his children now, but we haven't fully received the reality until the judgment day of his inheritance. Well, that is the end of our study of what really happened on the cross. I hope you have enjoyed it. I hope it's been meaningful to you. Maybe you've learned a few new words and the meaning of those words in a biblical way, in a spiritual way. But most of all, I want you to take advantage of this. I want you to take advantage of the sacrifice that the suffering servant had for you I want you to take advantage of the victory over sin and the ransom and the redeeming that Christ has done for you. I want you to take advantage of the reconciliation and the justification and the adoption that happened on the cross for you and I. I don't know where you are this morning spiritually, but won't you take advantage of the greatest event that's ever happened in the history of humanity. Won't you be a part of that? Won't you commit your life to Christ as we stand and as we sing?